Hello friends, welcome to episode one of Grits and the Gospel. My name is Reverend Katie Griffiths. Um, I probably will drop the Reverend eventually, but again, I'm just trying to remind myself that this is really happening and this call is very real and I'm doing this thing. So welcome to um, episode one. If you listen to episode zero, it's just kind of a setup of what this podcast will be about. And in that podcast, I said, it's mainly just going to be sermons. I doubt I'll do any episodes. And then after I recorded that and went back and listened to it, I thought, you know, Maybe I do need to do a couple of episodes before we start loading sermons. So I'm recording episode one and episode two just as kind of a background record of how I got to where I am today on this rainy, rainy Thursday. Um, I... I'm just going to go through today um, what my call to ministry was like. And I'm calling this episode Living the Call because it is something that you live out every day. Um, you know, the, I, I try to set office hours, but the, the truth is in ministry, there are really no office hours. It is a full-time job, 24-7. And so um, I uh, am going to do one episode on this one called Living the Call. And then the next episode, I'm going to go over um, something that's very important to me. That's always been important to me, but I didn't realize quite how much it would be an important part of my life. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about um, building community. And there may be a couple other things um, that I do before we start loading those sermons or in the middle of them because um, there are some things that nobody told me um, as a woman in ministry before I started. And um, I think it would be helpful to get some of that information out in the world. And hopefully um, the things that I have learned can help other ministers, but especially other women in ministry, and I'm really excited to share those things. So today, I was going to tell you the story, uh, the long version of my call to ministry. I had my first real meeting with my North Georgia district superintendent the other day, and he, um, I've been in the room with him, but had not met him. His name's Dr. Doug Galrath, and he is fabulous. I'm such a fan. But the first thing he said when um, I got to his office was, who are you and how did you get to my district? And so I told a short uh, version of this, and then I thought, you know, maybe not everybody has heard this and knows how I ended up where I am. And lots of people who have known me for a long time just kind of look at me funny and go, wow, I would have never guessed this is what you would have been doing. But here we are. So um, I, I thought that was a great question. Who are you and why are you in my district? Uh, we got a good chuckle out of it. And so here's the answer. Um, I think it started a very long time ago. But I never saw the signs of a calling. Looking back, I should have. 
And the whole idea of looking back to see those milestones and those gifts and graces being honed over the years has been a real gift for me. I have been able to um, look back on my whole life and on the, the things that my experiences as a child all the way through adulthood and see the path that God has had me on the whole time. But it was the perfect timing of um, these recent years that I have really begun to see that. Uh, I've always done several things in life. First, I've always taken care of people. My grandparents, uh, every summer, uh, we would go to their lake house. But on the way to the lake, every time we went, we stopped at at least one nursing home to visit a family member. And they would always tell uh, us that, you know, we can go, definitely go have fun at the lake, but we have to take care of our people first. And so we did that. We would go visit. Um, you know, we made sure that uh, I watched them make sure that everyone was safe and happy and secure. And um, I loved visiting with uh, my relatives and uh, the people that we were caring for. And I watched um, the joy that it brought my grandparents and the responsibility that they took very seriously of taking care of people. And that's a big part of ministry. And so I, um, that's been instilled in me for a very long time. I have um, also always had a love of words. I love to write. I love to read. A long time ago, I had a blog I don't even remember the name of it. But a friend of mine, Tina, encouraged me to write because she said I was a good writer and told a good story. And um, so I did, very briefly. And I uh, was um, missing those opportunities to write. But I never really knew how to make that into, um, make that love of words and inspiration that I found into anything more than just a hobby or something I like to do. Uh, I also was in corporate America before I came to the ministry. And I think as miserable as corporate America is and was for me, those skill sets that I learned were invaluable. Uh, a part of, even if it's a small part of running a church, just is just like any other business. You have to know what a spreadsheet looks like and how to handle situations professionally and work as a team and all the things that I learned and, and did um, at my former job. Um, I even got to flex my writing muscles there and write articles for the newsletter. I was usually a ghostwriter, but I still wrote them. And so all, looking back, all those little things, all those skills that I need as in ministry and taking care of people and writing sermons all throughout my whole life were developed um, along with my faith. And my faith obviously happened at church. It happened at church camp. I went to a private Christian school. I was privileged enough to be able to go to a Christian school where my education included religion. 
and my college years did as well. And so um, all those things combined brought me where I am today. Now, where is that? <laughs> well, it all started um, a couple years ago now. Um, I was working in, in corporate America where I just was not valued. I was not cared for. And I made some wonderful friends who are still my friends today. But we became friends because of, we like to call it trauma bonding over our work. Um and I kept thinking, gosh, there's got to be something better to do than this. There's got to be a way to help people instead of helping a corporation, help people be successful rather than helping a corporation be successful. I didn't know what that was or what that looked like, but um, I just knew that there had to be something better. And then two things happened that were pivotal, pivotal for a lot of people. I'll never forget it. I was sitting at my desk. We in corporate, the corporate world had what most corporations used to have, which was a phone farm, rows and rows and rows and rows of people and desks that were only three or four feet wide. And when the first person came back from a cruise with COVID, we were starting to get a little worried about it. <laughs> And they knew that I was a, one of the primary caregivers for my grandmother, who was like 90, 90 or 91 at the time. And uh, so they sent me home immediately. Anyone that was a caregiver for someone who was um, medically either really old or medically you know, fragile, they sent home immediately. And I never went back to the office. And then... Um, not from COVID, but uh, my grandmother, Gogi, who um, I preach a lot about, was very influential in my life. Um, had some kind of, we think it was a stroke, uh, and had a, uh, and passed away. Um, not immediately, but um, that started kind of her downward spiral. And uh, we like to joke and say that that woman was very, very independent. She was the matriarch of our family. And without her ability um, to drive herself around and to live without help, she was just not going to, she was done. She, if she had to rely on us to do things for her, she was just rather be gone. So um, I think really and truly she made that decision for herself that she was not going to... Um, live a life that way. And I, I admire that very much. That that's uh, for herself what she um, resolved. And so we lost Gogi. And I was in the middle of COVID working from home. My landlords were not home much. They were at um, a more isolated spot. So I had, for the first time in my whole life, a whole lot of extra time. I go, 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 go. I'm, you know, I'm, that's the way I exist. I would rather be busy than bored. But this forced me to sit still and really listen and figure out what was next. And um, 
one of the things that I thought about was, you know what, I'm one of the few things left to do is be lay leader at uh, my home church, which is Mulberry Street United Methodist Church. And the Methodists were still providing classes toward the end of COVID. Um, they had opened them back up to, um, to become a certified lay minister. And I thought, well, if nothing else, I'll just be a better lay leader for Mulberry and be better able to guide my home church and um, be a better serve, uh, servant leader. And so I did. I took those classes. I had wonderful time. Um, the last class, the last level is certified lay minister. And I um, took um, that class with uh, one of my dear friends, Anne Bosarge. She is still um, working for the United Methodists in South Georgia. And I just cannot say enough good things about her and what she's doing. And I'm so thankful for her. Um, I'd already preached a couple times at Mulberry and I was, I had agreed to preach at another church, which I'll get to in just a minute, but I will never forget at the end of that class when they said that I was a lay minister Anne looked at me and she said, I don't know why, but I just don't see you at Mulberry forever. And I thought, well, that's terrible. Like, I love my church. Why would I go anywhere? <laughs> I don't even think she remembers saying it. I've asked her about it since, and I don't think she remembers saying it. And so um, I came back and um, was kind of miffed about it, but I dismissed it. I thought, no, all I want to do is just be a great lay leader. And maybe if a pulpit needs to be filled around, I can have a week or two here or there. When I preach, but I'm certainly not, I don't know, quitting my job to do this. In the middle of all that, like I said, I was filling in the pulpit for a very, very good friend of mine, also out of Mulberry Street, named Pam Johnston. She had just finished up at Candler and uh, needed a sabbatical, which now I appreciate more than ever. And she looked at but she called me, she said, hey, you stole my... Um, fill-in minister to go to Mulberry for a year. Can you come do it uh, for six weeks? Would you preach in my pulpit? And without hesitation, and I don't know, maybe it was just because I was too dumb to know to be scared to death about it, I said yes. And those six weeks were fantastic. The people at the little church are wonderful humans. They were welcoming and kind um, I had family that could come and listen because it was not far from Macon, so I could still stay at home. And I really got to work on writing sermons and timing sermons and all the things that go with it. And part of those dates were over July 4th of that year. And that year, July 4th happened to be on a Sunday. And so, no, July 3rd. Third, third happened to be on a Sunday. That's right, July third, and I uh, I preached about my grandfather that day, who was shot down in World War II on July third, and in, there was a a couple in the um, sanctuary that day that I didn't recognize, but I'm not. That's not my church, so I thought, well, they're just back from vacation, and they're members, 
Well, I went up to them before the service and introduced myself, and turns out they were, um, they just happened to be traveling through Georgia. It was a retired minister and his wife. And they were looking, uh, he had just retired, and they were on kind of a trip to go find family graves and um, find their family members in old cemeteries, like really old cemeteries. And one of them happened to be in Forsyth. And he later told me that, um, I said, well, gosh, if you want to come up and do anything, or if I do anything wrong, let me know, please, because I was brand new to this. I wasn't very confident um, in my preaching skills. And I said, you know, you're welcome. He said, no, no, no. I've actually, before we came, I listened to your sermon last week and I really liked it. I said, oh, well, thank you. That's good to know. And um, so we went through the whole service. Uh, I preached about Morris, which I always love doing. I used, he was an, a great example of faith to me. And I am so thankful that I get to use him as an example as well. For my congregation now. And uh, so he, the guy said, do you mind if I change clothes? You know, my wife and I, if we change clothes after the service, because we're going to tromp through the, the woods and look for these graves. And I said, absolutely not. You know, showed him where to go. And um, everybody had kind of left and he was still kind of hanging around and, you know, looking like something was still going on. And he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I've never done this before. I've never been told. I've never, nothing's ever happened to me like this before. He said, but I know I'm supposed to tell you that I, I don't know what job you have right now, but you need to quit. You need to quit your job and you need to go into ministry because you have a gift. And you, I think I had to legitimately pick my job off the, the ground because nobody ever, well, that's not true. People had said it, but people at Mulberry are people that I've known my whole life. My high school teachers, friends, family. I mean, they're supposed to say that, right? Like they're just being nice because they love me and they're supposed to say nice things. But this guy was a total stranger who I'd never met before. Would never run into again. I still have not seen him again. Um, I thought about looking him up. I probably should do that. Um, and he here he was validating and saying to me, this is what you should be doing. You know, I say it a lot and I mean it. I try my best now to listen and to feel that soft tap on the shoulder that God gives me. Because I don't want to be hit over the head with a frying pan again like I was that day. Because <laughs> that's what it felt like was just this big whack upside the head. Like, come on, Katie. I've been showing you this for a long time. And this is what you're going to do. So, um, I started the process after that. I went and cried about, and told, as I told the story again, to... The triumvirate at Mulberry, we had three retired ministers at the time, and they were very kind and listened to me very sweetly, and they have been supportive and loving and wonderful um, through this whole process. Um, I talked to my district superintendent and then started the ball rolling. I also filled in at a wonderful little church 
down in Cochran, Cochran First, and then um, Long Street, which is one of the oldest churches in Georgia, Methodist churches. It's actually where the phrase, the Lord willing and the creek don't rise, was coined back in the early days, the early 1800s. They used to have to line their muskets up at the back of the sanctuary <laughs> to make sure that the Indians didn't come try to overtake them during worship. Uh, so... If the Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Um, and then I also was very, very honored and privileged to preach at First Christian Church. I grew up um, in the DOC denomination, and First Christian was um, started in part by my great-grandfather. And my dear friend, Will Johnson, allowed me to come take his pulpit one Sunday and preach there. So those are the places that I preached before I went to seminary before I took this appointment where I am now. I applied to Candler. Now, there are really two separate things you have to do to become an elder in the Methodist Church. The first is you've got to go through the Methodist Church process. The second is you have to get a degree. And so I have been through, and I'm a certified candidate for elder at this point, um, for the United Methodist Church side and had some wonderful mentors and friends through that process. What I was really more worried about, though, was going back to school after 25 years of being out of school. And um, <laughs> that actually went a whole lot better than I ever thought it would. Uh, but when I applied to Candler, I applied in, like, November I mean, they had to dig my school records out of basements because they were still on paper at schools that I took classes at for my undergrad. And they had to, my immunization records, I had to just get them all over again because they, those were long gone. Um, and so if I, I got, I sent all the paperwork in and they said around Valentine's Day, you will hear. I was um, visiting up at Lake Oconee. I took a little time to go up there just by myself, which I love to do, go on a little getaways by myself to rejuvenate. And I did that. Uh, my friend was generous and let me use her house. I was sitting at the bar um, because I was eating alone at one of the restaurants up there in uh, Reynolds Plantation, and the email came in. And I started weeping. <laughs> <laughs> and my waitress looked at me and said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Is there something I can help you with? And I said, no, I'm, I'm actually great. I just was accepted to grad school. And I have not looked back. And it's been a wonderful experience at Candler. I cannot say it enough how much I love it there. I quit my job at the end of April. And... um started packing to move up here to North Georgia. The South Georgia Conference was very kind and let me um, come move up closer to Candler and be borrowed by the North Georgia Conference uh, during my time in school. And I'm very, very thankful for them for allowing me to do so. It has been a great journey. I have met wonderful new people. I have had great experiences. I have built community up here and I just... I love my time here in North Georgia so far. So I'm a year in. I start my second year 
at the end of this month. We're in August of 2023. And um, I'm just very excited. I want to end this episode with um, the verse that I chose as in my Certified Lay Minister classes down in St. Simons with Ambassard. Um, this The verse that I chose to be my verse, my um, mantra, my memorization verse, my um, the thing that guides and leads me. And um, I'm going to read that to you now. Uh, I'm going to actually expand it a little bit. It's not just one verse. I'm going to read verse Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Here now, the words of the epistle. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It's that last line that has started to ring true a lot more than any other, and God willing, we will do so. God willing, I am doing so, and I am so excited to continue this journey. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you have um, found some inspiration in my story, and maybe you can see God working in your own life and in your own story. Maybe you can look back on this whole long life that you have had and see those pivotal moments where you are building skills and gifts and graces that God can use in your everyday life as well. Well, there we go. Episode one, Grits in the Gospel. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you back here for episode two, Community Building. Have a great day.